Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Great. Well, we're um, taking a a little topic uh, tonight called uh, love. Um, There's an awful lot to say in the Bible about it, but um, let's uh, open open your Bibles or um, turn your phones on or wherever you've got the Bible. Um, And uh, we're just going to have a... um, a reading from um, John chapter 13. Actually, it should come up on the screen too, so you can follow it on there if you like. John 13, and uh, we'll read the first uh, 15 verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then just over to uh, verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come tonight to worship you, to hear your voice through your word and by your spirit. 
And so we commit this time together into your hands that we thank you for the promise of the presence of the Lord Jesus as we come and gather in his name. And Father, open our hearts to what you would have to say to us. We do come to pray for our city and uh, pray that you would awaken hearts to their deep need of you and help us to grow in that love one for another. That will be a testimony that we are your disciples. We thank you for the blessings of your goodness in so many ways toward us. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, the last uh, two months we've been thinking uh, about our vision and our mission, that we're part of the body of Christ. Why are we here? What are we really on about? And uh, we've been thinking about the fact that we're a family. We're adopted into God's family united by what he has done through his death on the cross. And, uh, and then we're worshippers. We, uh, what is distinctive about us is that we worship God. We want to grow in worshipping God and not worshipping ourselves or worshipping our possessions or anything else because God alone is the one who is worthy to be worshipped. And if you worship anyone or anything else other than God, you will be disappointed. And if you are, you are too easily pleased. Above all, worship is loving God with all your heart. It's an inward attitude of the heart, not just this service, but an inward attitude of the heart right through the week of treasuring God above all else. And then last week we, uh, we looked at learner, being a learner. And really that's what a disciple is, a learner. And uh, if you think um, I've got it all together, well, even at uh, 63, uh, you would be really disappointed to know the truth because I'm still learning. And I can remember talking with an older man I knew years ago, he was 80 something. And he said to me, oh, Harold, there is still so much to learn about the Christian life and about following Jesus. And I thought, well, if he's 80-something, a godly man, and he's still learning, that's what a disciple is. We're learners. And, uh, and, and uh, we had a quote from uh, Mr Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 1800s, that you will not grow without intention. You can't just drift along in the Christian life and expect to learn and expect to grow. And to learn, it's not just accumulating knowledge, uh, it's actually putting it into practice. And if we're going to learn, really learn, we need to, yes, know more about God, but then we need to live it out. Years ago, someone said to me, it's like the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. I don't know if you know your geography of Israel, but the Sea of Galilee up the top there, it's got water coming into it 
and then the Jordan flows out of it and it's beautiful fresh water. Well, it has been for a long time, but then you get to the Dead Sea and water just flows in and it's salty and it's dead, hence the name. But our lives, if there is no output, if there is no flowing through of the Word of God both into our lives and then out into uh, the community in sharing with others, we're going to end up like the Dead Sea. And the connection tonight with tonight as we think about love is uh, Philippians 1.9, that uh, Paul's prayer that, you, that your love would grow more and more as a learner we learn, and one of the things that God wants us to learn about is love and growing in love. And that's why we had our passage uh, tonight from John uh, 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also you are to love one another. Now, as I mentioned, it is a big topic I was talking with my wife on the way here. You know, we, uh, there, it's uh, 300, I, I looked it up actually, the 339 times the word love in the Old Testament. I didn't read the Old Testament to find out. I looked it up on a bit of software, but uh, 339 times in the Old Testament and uh, 213 in the New Testament. So we're not talking about some little passing word. It's if God mentions it so much in the scriptures, it's pretty key to, uh, to our lives. And, uh, and yet you need to think, what does love mean to you? And one helpful way I found of thinking about it is that um, if you go to the Greek words, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but if you look up in your Strong's Concordance or whatever, you'll find that of those 200 times in the New Testament, um, 25 of them, it's the Greek word philio, which is like brotherly love, tender, tender affection. You know, like I grew up with two brothers and we had some pretty fierce fights, but I'll be seeing him next week and we, we get along with each other quite well now. There's a tender affection uh, towards each other. Whereas the word that the New Testament mainly uses is uh, agapeo, um, 140 times, where the, translating that word, which is translated as love. And that's really a sacrificial goodness toward an unworthy person. Now, we have a lot of false ideas about what love really is like, and we do need to keep coming back to what God says love is all about. Uh, one person defines it as a deep and consistent interest by a perfect being towards an entirely unworthy people. And that kind of love then sponsors, it, 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 it engenders a reverential love in our hearts back to the one who has given us this unconditional love and a deep concern for those who are outside of the family that don't know this love. You know, Romans 5.8 says, And God demonstrates his love, his agapeo love, 
by the fact that he died for us when we were sinners. In the passage, it talks in the context of we were enemies of God. We were just so far away, and yet Jesus, in his love, died for us. When Jesus was asked, uh, what is the greatest commandment? He, uh, he said, well, it's to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And by implication, the greatest sin is to not love God, to not have him as first place in your life. We don't often think of sin like that. Sin, first of all, is not loving God and having him as the centre of, of my life. And you were created to love. That's why God has given you life, to live in relationships of love, relationship of love with God, relationship of love with each other. In Galatians 5:13, you've been set free through what Jesus has done on the cross, set free to love one another, to serve people in love. So what does a Christian community meant to, be, to look like? Um, back in my day, back in the glorious uh, 70s, uh, you would put a fish on the back of your car and that would show that you were a Christian. And uh, some people would um, wear uh, crosses uh, around their neck. You know, that would show that they're um, uh, believers. Um, uh, you know, you, uh, sometimes you'd have a big black Bible uh, under your arm to demonstrate that you're, uh, you're a Christian. Um, the, um, you know, they, uh, you, you meet on Sundays. Sorry, I can't do anything on Sundays. I'm, uh, I'm busy with church, uh, the kind of music. But it's interesting... Jesus says what defines a Christian community, under, there's the underlying doctrine, but the world looking on by your love for one another, the world will know that you are disciples of Jesus. It's a pretty scary thing. Jesus says, you know, is, is this love really in place? in our lives, that there's enough love within us, within for each other, that the world looks on and says they are disciples of Jesus. The only truly great example of love, Jesus himself, in the passage is about to go back to heaven. And he says, I want your love that you have for me to be demonstrated in your love for one another. So we want to think tonight about three things. Firstly, that little phrase, just as I have loved you. Jesus is setting the standard for the way in which we are to love one another. He says, just as I have loved you. And so God's love is where this whole thing about love begins. To love as Jesus loves. That's why it's a new commandment. Yes, in the Old Testament, you can find that God says, uh, you know, you're to love God 
and you're to love your neighbour. But Jesus, when he comes, say in Matthew 5, uh, 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a new commandment because it's so much deeper than simply loving people who are good to you. As Jesus said, even the world loves people that are good to them. You know, we get on with people, they do things for me, I do things for them. That's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about when he says, love as I have loved you. To love people who are not lovely. To love people who are against you. God's love is, is deep. God's love is also consistent. There's a beautiful verse in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never comes to an end. It's never up and down. And we, we saw that at the start of chapter 13 when Jesus, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, these disciples, he loved them to the end. He never gave up on them. There wasn't a day where he didn't love his disciples in terms of seeking the best for them. And, uh, you know, as you read the Gospels, they were just like us, pretty slow to learn, pretty hard sometimes on people, and yet Jesus loved them to the end. And Jesus' love is not only deep, it's not only consistent, it's sacrificial. In Ephesians 5, God says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John 15, we often, that verse often gets quoted on, um, at, on Anzac Day uh, every day. John 15, um, 12, uh, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. To love as I have loved you. It's at the heart of the gospel when Jesus died on the cross, not for his friends who loved him, but for his enemies, for us who had no time for him, who were going in the opposite direction. It's a beautiful picture of grace as we start to understand that. Galatians 2.20, he loved me. And he gave himself for me. This sense of sacrifice and love is just mixed together. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's a beautiful picture in Jeremiah 31 where God talks about Ephraim. And he's had to discipline Ephraim but out of a great love. And God sometimes is going to touch your life in ways you don't understand. But never think that it's not out of love, out of a deep love for you. Ephraim 
He says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? Have you ever thought about the God of eternity talking about you as my dear son, my dear daughter, my darling child? It's an amazing picture of who God is. We have all the wrong ideas about God. Yes, he is holy and unapproachable in one sense, but in another sense he is so personal and loves you deeply. He cares for you. Disciples struggled with this. You know, if you go to Luke 22, the same passage of time that it refers to in John 13. Here is Jesus and he's facing the cross and facing bearing the sin of the whole world in his body on the cross. And he institutes the Lord's table that we'll have together at the end of our time tonight. He institutes all that and what do you think the disciples are talking about? Who is going to be the greatest? Whoa, it's just, it's scary. Here he has spent all this time with them and he says to them, I want you to love one another and all they can talk about is who is going to be the greatest. And yet he still loves them, just as he looks at our lives and the times we let him down and think about ourselves rather than how can we love our brethren. You know, I'd been a believer for a few years and uh, we were going off to a conference, a Christian conference, and um, one of the men who was helping me at the time, he said, to, he said to a few of us, I want you to remember you're not going to this conference for yourself. Yes, you'll learn a lot of things, but really you're going to be a blessing to others. And I think sometimes that can happen here at church. We can just fall into a trap. Oh, I need to come along tonight to uh, get some help for my life. But you forget the blessing that you are to the rest of the body. I remember some of the, the older people at another church would say, oh, it's just such a blessing to see younger people here and engaging with the gospel and uh, communicating. You're a great encouragement to us. Um, I mean, I'm not as old as some people here tonight, but we're getting old and uh, not looking at anyone, uh, Brian, but, <laughs> but, um, but you're such a great encouragement to us all to see the Lord, uh, you know, doing a work in your lives. And, uh, and I remember the, the man who helped me First, first explain the gospel to me. He, he said, well, when you come together, be looking out for those who just are strangers, who are, don't know what to do in the context. And that's what we need to do as part of the body. Always be looking out to see, I don't just want to stand in the same little clique and talk with the people I always talk with. Lord, Say, Lord, could you open up that God will show me who to speak with tonight and who to share with. How amazing is his love. That's his love. There's such a depth to it. 
There's such a consistency to it. There's a sacrifice in that kind of love. It's to love the unlovely. As I have loved you, so firstly, as I have loved you, it all begins with his love. And we can only love because he has first loved us. But then secondly, you are then to love one another. If I then, your Lord and Master and Teacher, have washed your feet, well then you need to wash my feet, Jesus said. No, not wash my feet, but wash each other's feet. Whoa, that's, that's different. Because the other disciples, instead of just coming in and talking about who was going to be the greatest, should have said, well, perhaps I need to wash people's feet. It's a little bit different back then. You would wear sandals, your feet would get dusty. You didn't need to be washed all over, but it was just normal hospitality that when you came to a home, someone, a servant, would wash your feet. Take your sandals off, wash your feet. That was just a bit like we greet someone with a shake their hands or give them a, a kiss. You know, that's just a normal greeting. And, uh, and yet not one of the disciples thought about that. It was left to Jesus, the one who came to serve, to do it. It's a big issue we're talking about. And we can so easily get self-centred. I know in my own life, I can be so self-centred instead of thinking of others. And it's only by the Holy Spirit working within our lives, by his grace, that he can start to change us. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us, the Spirit of Christ, when we become a believer. And his love starts to permeate our lives. And what does this love look like? Well, if, if Jesus is the greatest example of love, Perhaps uh, one of the greatest descriptions of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, let me read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Last year we visited a little monastery in um, uh, Florence, in Italy, and um, there was one of the friars many years ago, Friar Angelo, had um, painted all these scenes of the life of Jesus. You walked in to the place and there was the picture of the cross and you could sit there 
and meditate on the cross and all that the cross meant. And then they had a whole series of little cells, little rooms, and each one had a, a picture of one aspect of Jesus from the Gospels, one aspect of his life. And you could uh, sit in those rooms and meditate on that particular story from one of the Gospels. And if you want to meditate on what this life is like, let me suggest you replace the word love in, that, in those verses with Jesus. Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. And stop to think about Jesus is patient. I didn't become a believer the first time I heard the gospel. But Jesus was very patient with me. He continues to be patient with me every day as he sees how I have still got so much to learn. Jesus is kind. How much do you see in every day his kindness toward you? Look at the stories in the Gospels of his kindness towards very needy people when he could have just ignored them and he heard their cry and he was very kind toward them. Jesus does not envy. He's content with what his Father has given him. And he lives within that relationship with his father. Or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He was very gentle with so many people. He confronted sin, but was so caring and gentle. What about your name? Harold is patient. And kind. Harold does not envy or boast. Harold is not arrogant or rude. Uh, you can ask my wife afterwards um, <laughs> what, uh, what you think. But again, I say that to you that you can take that passage and put Jesus there and think about all the ways because, in a sense, how do we grow in love? The only way is when we start to see how did Jesus love? And his spirit starts to shed abroad that love in our hearts, starts to flood our hearts with his love that is patient, that is kind, that does not envy, that is not arrogant. Love as Jesus loved. We are to love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How do we reflect the image of God in a needy world? In, in one sense, there is an individual issue of every individual needs to be born again, born from above, enter into the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus says there is also a community aspect of love. That we are to love one another by this, all men, all people, 
will know that you are my disciples. In, uh, in 1 John 4, which is another amazing passage on love, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God loved us, we ought to love one another. In Romans 12, verse 9, God says, Let your love be genuine. And people see hypocrisy. They see when we're just simply trying to do something, when inwardly we have no time for them. People long to see the reality of you as a person. What should the church look like? Well, there's a sense in which we can never compete with Hollywood. We can never compete with the entertainment centre. We have a great band and it's great that we can come and worship God. But Jesus is saying, above all, people should be able to look on and see how they love one another how they care for one another. And uh, since coming here to this fellowship, I've, Ruth and I have seen that in our lives, how much you, many of you, have just cared for us in many practical ways. We want to thank you for that. 1 John 3, the, the chapter starts, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That little phrase, see what kind of love, it, it's one way of translating that is, from what country does this kind of love come from? Where, wherever did you get this kind of love? And the kind of love we're talking about comes from God, because it's love for the unlovely. Um, uh, Mark, uh, uh, there was a DG at our house uh, last night uh, the, on, during the week. Um, I couldn't go because it was only for young uh, men. But um, I did poke my head in the door and, uh, and said to them, um, what do you find difficult about love? Because uh, I'm, I'm preaching on it and I thought I'll get some ideas. And uh, basically the answer was uh, people. Uh, loving people is... Uh, you, know, you, you don't realise what people are like. Well, I do, but, um, uh, you know, they, they can rub you up the wrong way. You know, you don't click with them. They're interested in things that I'm not interested in. Uh, it actually takes time and effort and uh, intentionality. And, uh, and then if you don't like them, well, just leave them. But that's not what love, Jesus' love, is all about. It might be what the world says love is like, but it's not what 
Jesus says, love. You know, we, I, I dropped in to see a neighbour the other day and, um, and, and I was with another neighbour and uh, the other neighbour noticed, um, oh, there was, you know, so, uh, some stuff uh, wrong with the house. The, above the porch, there was watermarks. And he said, oh, you got block gutters or something. And the lady said, uh, um, oh, you know, my, my husband's in hospital and my son's got a very sick uh, daughter. And, and I, it was a challenge to my life that perhaps I should have been over there earlier helping our, our neighbour. And part of loving our neighbour is actually learning about them. And do I really know them and understand? Not in this, I'm not talking about being nosy, but in a natural way, am I really understanding my neighbours and where they're from and and what they're going through? And um, uh, so that I can be a real neighbour and love them. I've been reading a book through the week, Everyday Church, where... He says, really, in a sense, loving each other is not just about this time. It's about right through the week, every day. We are to love one another and care for one another. Uh, In in 1 Peter 3.15, there's a a lovely verse there that um, talks about, um, but in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And uh, in a way, that's true, that we've got to be ready to give an answer. But then I've got to ask myself, why would people ask me for a reason? What is different about my life? And as you start to look in the context... You know, verse 1 of chapter 3, wives, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see the way you live. And husbands, your husbands you're not getting out of it. You know, your husbands, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way so that when they look at your life, they see the love of Jesus in your life. And finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, not repaying evil for evil. As you go out and live this week in the community, people, it's not that you're not going to make mistakes, but it's how you respond to that. Do you try and defend yourself or are you willing to say, I was wrong? Humble yourself. Are you thankful? Is there something different, distinctive about our lives that will cause people to ask? And only the love of God can do that in our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man who stood for the Lord in Nazi Germany and eventually was killed for that. And he talked about this love in community. He says, 
when God had mercy on us, when God revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when God won our hearts by his love, our instruction in God's love for each other began at the same time. When God was merciful to us, we started to learn to be merciful to others. When God forgave our sins, we started to learn to forgive each other and not hold grudges. What God did to us, we then owed to others. The more we received, the more we were able to give. And thus God taught us to encounter one another as God has encountered us in Christ, to accept one another as Jesus accepted us in Christ. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another. Therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Let's just pray. Father, We've only scratched the surface tonight of your amazing love toward us. It's deep. It's consistent. It's sacrificial. And you loved us while we were enemies, while we were sinners. And so, Lord, we just come with deep thankfulness for your grace toward us. And Lord, for your mercy toward us. And so we come to pray that by your spirit, the love of God would flood our hearts, love for each other, love and care and concern. So we come now with thankful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.